Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. This is Mike Smith. We've got an awesome Thursday morning show for you today, and we start with the border booze wars here, the cheaper liquor on sale next door in Alberta. This is costing B.C. millions of dollars here, potentially. And we told you about this on yesterday's show. The mail-order liquor in Alberta that residents in British Columbia, it appears, can order online, have it delivered right to their door, even with the shipping cost. It is cheaper than the liquor available in British Columbia. Why? Because of the super high taxes uh, we've got here. I got Daryl Lamb standing by, Legacy Liquor Store, to discuss first. Have a listen to this report here from Global News. You hear Global News reporter Richard Zussman here, and also you hear Daryl in this story. Let's listen. This is the Lafroy Quarkas, one of my favorite whiskeys in the world. This is about $110 in British Columbia. Right now online in Alberta, you can buy it for $72. Instead of purchasing high-end liquor and wine from B.C. shelves, customers are having products sent directly to their B.C. doorstep from Alberta. If you start getting foreign products out of Alberta cheaper than local products, you're going to see the market start to flip uh, and move back to places like Napa and Bordeaux and Burgundy rather than, uh, you know, a Soyuz, Caramillos and Kamloops. Okay, that's the voice of Daryl Lamb, their brand manager at the Legacy Liquor Store in Vancouver. And I'm very pleased Daryl could join us right now on the phone. Hey, Daryl, thanks for coming on this morning. Well, thanks for having me come on, Mike. It's an absolute pleasure. Okay, I appreciate it a lot. And I think a lot of people were aware, Daryl, that, yeah, liquor is cheaper next door in Alberta. But I had a bunch of listeners contact me yesterday saying, whoa, we didn't know we could order this stuff online. Wow, what a savings. Tell me your concerns here, because a lot of these price differentials are quite dramatic, right? Yeah, they're they're really big. I mean, the, the difference between British Columbia and Alberta is quite profound. British Columbia has the highest taxes in Canada on alcohol. Well, uh, Alberta has the lowest. And once the federal government removed uh, kind of the federal rules of of interprovincial shipping and passed it on to the provinces to make a deal, that really opened up the floodgates. But we really didn't see it till the pandemic when people started to get comfortable with online ordering. And now with the inflation crisis, we're seeing it really spread out. Yeah, what are some, can you give me a couple of examples there maybe of some of the price differences here that you're most concerned about? Because these are quite, these are quite dramatic, the price differences. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, we started to see it really early on in, in, uh, in premium scotches, rare releases, uh, items like, uh, you know, uh, you can't find bourbons that you must have, and then suddenly they were all there online in Alberta. A lot of the agencies go to Alberta because the way their structure works they actually make a lot more profit. This is the irony of the entire thing. The Alberta system are, is the lowest tax in Canada, 
but it's actually the most profitable system for any government in the country. Alberta makes more uh, general revenue for their government per capita than any other province. So their system is highly efficient, very profitable for the government. And now what we're seeing is people have discovered that you can order these products online. So I use the example of the Floyd Quarter Cash, you know, $40 off on a single bottle. Well, that's more than the shipping cost. If yeah. you and three or four friends get together, well, now you've really done a, a, a real good deal for yourselves. Yeah, for sure. Like with the shipping cost, even with that shipping charge, it's it's still it's still a cheaper deal. Speaking to Daryl Lamb, Legacy Liquor Store in Vancouver, how big do you think this is? I mean, is just is this just a few people doing this? I mean, is or do you think this is bigger than maybe we realize, Daryl? Oh, this is an absolute avalanche. What we started to notice was about eighteen months, twenty four months ago, a lot of the big clubs based in British Columbia, started to switch over their, oh. uh, their purchasing to Alberta. So they would send their members a, uh, a list, here's your price, boom, and everything would get uh, developed. Albertans started to figure this out. In fact, at the Victoria Whiskey Festival, you starting to see Alberta-based liquor stores buying tables at the Victoria Whiskey Festival to promote themselves uh-huh. and their lower pricing. And it's out in the open now. And, and what's happened is, is the premium market, the collector market, has left British Columbia big time. We used to be able to – we're the official retailer for Ardbeg, right? So we have the Ardbeg committee house for British Columbia. We used to have lineups out our door just to get their hands on the bottles. Now people are finding them 30 40 50% cheaper online from oh. Alberta. And that stock is sitting there. Last weekend was the BCLDB Spirit release. You probably remember, just like I do, eight, nine, ten years ago, people would line up for days to get mm. their hands on these bottles. Saturday morning, I was able to walk in the 39th and Camby at the opening hour. Nobody was there. If you go to 39th and Camby right now, the flagship BCLDB store, their floor is covered with some of the rarest whiskeys in the world, but nobody wants to buy them. Because you can order them online from craft sellers or Zinn for you know forty fifty percent off. Oh man! Oh no! Now, but this is technically illegal, though, right? Isn't this sort of technically bootlegging under the law that you can't? Go ahead. And this is why we had to kind of bring it into the public sphere because behind closed doors, the various groups, the BTAP committee, Able BC, even even the Winery Institute of British Columbia has been bringing this up to Victoria, to the minister, saying you got to do something. And essentially, the hope was it might just go away. Or if we just say, we don't know, we can't codify, it won't happen. It's just starting to snowball. More and more people are starting to discover it. You're seeing Reddit channels. You're seeing Facebook groups uh, talking about, hey, look look at this delivery I just got. And to be honest, this isn't just a British Columbia problem. This is a problem in Ontario. This is a problem in Quebec. Because Alberta is just so much cheaper than everybody else. Daryl, thank you for coming on today. I'm glad you're speaking up about this issue. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Mike. Okay, you're welcome. Daryl Lamb there, manager at the Legacy Liquor Store in Alberta. Yeah, I think some of this cheap Alberta booze that people are buying online, this is a, a bigger issue than maybe a lot of people realize. Let's check in with the official opposition here now. Peter Millobar. Uh, BC United MLA from Kamloops. Hey, Peter, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. 
Peter, what do you think about what's going on here? Well, I think it's indicative of a, of a broader lack of competitiveness that we're seeing in British Columbia and a government that's not adapting to what is happening in real time in the modern world in terms of uh, online ordering, online shipping on a wide variety of products. And certainly uh, liquor is one that uh, really grabs people's attention. And and part of the problem is the tax structure in Alberta, as I understand it, is more of a, a volume bottle base versus a, a percentage of sales. So as, as the product gets a little more expensive um, in BC, uh, the tax is that much greater that you have to collect. And, and in Alberta, it just stays flat. So whether it's a $10 bottle of rot gut or it's a premium bottle, um, the tax is the same. And so... Um, you know, the fact that we're not taking steps, the, the government is ignoring um, repeated calls around competitiveness um, is troubling. And, and it's not just the direct taxation. You think of uh, the employer's health tax that's been added, the WCB premiums that have been added, uh, um, a wide range of extra taxes and fees that have been uh, pushed on to businesses, sick days, all of those types of things. Uh, go into their cost structure in BC uh, that don't exist in in neighboring jurisdictions. And so we see it with fuel and gas at the pump. We see it now in the liquor stores. We're seeing it in the forest industry. We're seeing it all over the place. And the government just does not want to acknowledge that they have a a taxation problem in this province. And and, uh, it's coming to a head. All right. Talking about cheap Alberta booze here flowing across the border. Yeah, savvy shoppers are figuring out they can order online. And even with the delivery charges, it's cheaper than buying their liquor here. We talked about uh, this yesterday's show uh, with Jeff Guinard, Able BC. He represents the private liquor stores in British Columbia. And he pointed out, like, this is illegal. You're technically illegal. You're not allowed to do this, take booze across the border like this. But, you know, people are doing it. Let's have a listen here. The same bottle is sold in different provinces in Canada for different prices. And that it's, it doesn't matter if it's a little bit, but if you have a $110 bottle of scotch in BC that's sold for $75 in Alberta, and that's just regular shelf price, that's a problem that's not going to be fixed by telling people they're not supposed to do it. <laughs> yeah, don't do this. You're not allowed to do it. Well, people are doing it in big numbers anyway, it appears. Peter Millibar is my guest, BC United, MLA. Let's go to your phone calls. Brian and Coquitlam. Hi, Brian. What do you think? Hey, Mike. Well, I think the the differences in tax structure is based on philosophy. Alberta, they're trying to make money off of it, and they don't want to restrict their people. Where BC uses taxes to restrict people. It's the same for cigarettes and gasoline and alcohol. It's priced so we are not supposed to drink or smoke or drive. Yeah, right. I mean, this is what the we used to call the sin taxes here, right? So we jack up taxes on tobacco, liquor peter what are you saying that bc should reduce liquor taxes well what i'm saying is that this is uh, really indicative of, of a lack of competitiveness we've seen uh, the bc business council come out with its report about how bc is now failing uh, with its overall uh, cost structure and so again it's not just simply a tax issue uh, in relation to the price versus alberta the markup uh, the government charges in Alberta on, on the product coming into the, before it goes for resale is different than in BC. It's lower. Yeah. Uh, so BC picks it up on the back end before it even leaves their warehouse. They're already uh, getting a hefty markup on that before it goes to these private stores. Um, there's the cost structure that the private store has to operate under in BC compared to Alberta. And that's again, competitiveness. If you're, if your wage structure, if your if your benefit structure that are all government mandated, if your WCB structure, um, all of those types of costs, 
are significantly higher in BC, of course your end sale product has to be higher uh, because uh, we're not keeping an eye on what neighboring jurisdictions are doing and trying to, as Jeff said, stay in the ballpark. We're not saying that you have to match uh, Alberta dollar for dollar. But you have to be in a, in a reasonable area um, for people to avoid doing this. It's no different than cross-border shopping down to the States. It falls off when the dollar gets close to par, and it really picks up when it drops down. Uh, people are willing to, to invest their time then to go across the border. And, and we're seeing it, again, in gas. We're seeing it in the forest industry. We're seeing it in a wide range of industry in B.C. right now. We're, we're uh, caving on our competitiveness with neighboring jurisdictions. And this is exactly what happens because it's too easy for people to go online and shop and, and get deliveries. And if we don't have a government that's willing to continually look at modernizing how they do things uh, based on what is actually happening, their, their modernization for, for taxes has been to implement and hammer people on the value of their used cars. Um, they, they've brought in uh, uh, Facebook marketplace tax. They've brought in uh, Netflix tax. They've brought in all these other taxes. They've done okay. nothing to actually modernize and lessen the burden for small businesses in particular. Okay, back to the phone lines here. Adam in Burnaby. Hi, Adam. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. Hi. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think uh, it would be really short-sighted for the government not to reduce costs or taxes. I mean, I get that they don't want to lose revenue. But, you know, like you said, a bunch of people are just learning about this. I just learned of it. Yeah. You're going to end up just losing sales and losing revenue anyways, and it's going to hurt our industry. So we got to reduce the cost on the liquor here. Otherwise, uh, everyone's going to be crying. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, sure. I mean, I had a, a bunch of emails from the listeners yesterday saying, wow, we, I didn't know about this. Thanks for letting me know. I'm going to start buying my booze from Alberta online now. <laughs> so this could get bigger now. Narinder in Surrey. Hi, Narinder. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Mike. It's been going on for a very long time. Even before online ordering, people would just take their pickup or whatever, go down to Alberta for the weekend, pick it up, load it up, bring it down, divide it up, divide your gas, and there you go. You're saving yeah. forty, fifty dollars for a bottle of scotch. Why wouldn't you? You're not yeah. stealing. You're still paying your tax in Alberta. You're not stealing from anybody. And if you can save it, why not? I mean, here, when as soon as Alberta privatized privatized everything, their selection beforehand was ten thousand. As soon as it went private, they have 30,000 of selection in the distribution. And BC here, mm. we're still operating like the 1970s. Okay, Narinder, thank you very much for the call. Um, Peter, I, I thought you raised some really great points here about the, the tax structure between BC and Alberta. This is still technically illegal. Like, you're not supposed to be bringing booze across the border like this. It seems like a lot of people are doing it anyway. Do you think the government should crack down on that? Maybe bring in some tougher enforcement? We just got 30 seconds here. Well, absolutely, and that's why it's so frustrating to hear the Solicitor General talk about public safety in relation to, to Surrey and, and not want to take any action in terms of cross-border liquor sales, uh, black market cigarettes, and seeing the spike of that happening, uh, what's going on in the cannabis industry. I mean, they've taken a total hands-off approach of all of these areas, uh, all impact the provincial treasury, all are impacting our small businesses, and, and they seem to shrug and okay. not want to take proper enforcement measures, and they need to. Peter, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Anytime. 
Laura, talk about the end of the parliamentary session in Ottawa now. Federal MPs returning to their home ridings. It was a rock'em sock'em session of Parliament here. Lots of jousting between Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Conservative Opposition Leader Pierre Polyev. Of course, we're going to play some of those highlights here for you momentarily. Expect to have Pierre Polyev on the line here shortly. Just got a uh, text from his assistant that he's they're pulling him out of a meeting here to join us. So we expect to have him on here very, very shortly. One of the things I want to ask him about are the results of those four federal by-elections here we had in the last few days. The outcome of those by-elections, basically two for two for both parties. They hung on to the seats that they did have. Uh, the conservative result. Uh, going down in some of these cases here and a lot of questions being raised about that. That is something that Trudeau himself uh, seized on in some of his exchanges with Polyev here in the dying days of this parliamentary session. Here, Let's have a listen to Trudeau here. Here is Trudeau needling Pierre Polyev, the conservative leader here, over these ele- by-election results. Have a listen. In the kinds of supports that the leader of the opposition would cut. So he's uh, just continuing his attacks to try and distract from the underwhelming election results he got last night. Okay, you take a look at some of those by-election results there. Yeah, the conservative count went down a little bit in a couple of those ridings, and a lot of people wondering what that means going forward for another election. Now, don't forget, we are in a minority parliament here. The the Liberal government effectively being propped up by the NDP, part of their opposition, the supply and agreement with the government. But anytime you're in... Uh, a minority parliament situation, you can be into a federal election pretty much at any time. What does this have to say about how this goes forward here now? You take a look at some of the opinion polling in Canada. They'll, you know, Polyev has done pretty well in some of these polls, others not so much. This, you'd think this would be a difficult time for Justin Trudeau and his government. We take a look at some of the continuing scandals and problems that Trudeau has had to stick handle here with, including the allegations of China state interference in Canadian elections and all the problems there. The difficult economy that many Canadians are facing here uh, right now. We've got inflation is still a problem. We've got rising interest rates as well. You would think that Justin Trudeau and this Liberal government would be particularly vulnerable here. But as we've seen in the past here in Canada, uh, Trudeau has somehow, some way managed to stick handle and skate through a lot of these problems. The Liberals, the Conservatives, though, continue to go after him. And we got Pierre Polyev now, leader of the Conservative Party. He's the leader of the official opposition in the House of Commons. Very pleased to welcome him back. Pierre Polyev, thanks for coming on. It's great to be with you. Thank you very much. Okay, okay I appreciate it a lot. So let me, let me play the clip here for you again here that we just played here while we were, we were waiting to get you on the line here. This is Justin Trudeau here. Are you sparring with him in the House of Commons this week? And he takes a little uh, run at you here, a little crack at you over the by-election results this week. Here's what he had to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. In the kinds of supports that the leader of the opposition would cut. So he's uh, just continuing his attacks to try and distract from the underwhelming election results he got last night. Okay, so he says the results were underwhelming for the Conservatives. Pierre Pioliev, what do you say to him? We elected two great members of Parliament, Brandon Leslie and Arpan Kanna, 
and they ran on the common sense platform that I agree with, bringing home lower prices by axing the liberal NDP carbon tax. That uh, that tax has already raised gas prices 14 cents. It's going to raise the price by 61 cents a liter when Trudeau and the NDP are done. I'll ax that tax. We're also going to get rid of the inflationary deficits that are driving up the cost of living and the interest rates people are paying on their mortgages. And we're also, finally, we've got to bring home more powerful paychecks. It doesn't pay to work in Trudeau's Canada. After eight years of Trudeau, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you can't afford food or a home. We need to reward work again with lower income taxes. And that's the message that these two newly elected conservatives are going to bring to the floor of the House of Commons. You weren't concerned that some of the the conservative vote went down in these ridings? No, there were some local controversies, but the bottom line is that people, after eight years, people can't afford to eat, heat, or house themselves. Life is is more costly. Work doesn't pay. Uh, Homes, uh, housing costs have doubled. Crime, chaos, drugs, and disorder are more common, and the country is more divided. Canadians want us to turn the hurt Trudeau has caused into the hope that they need, and that's what I'm going to bring home uh, as Prime Minister of this country. Okay, a lot of these issues, of course, front and center in the dying days of this parliamentary session. And let me play another clip here for you from Justin Trudeau uh, fighting back here against you in the House of Commons this week. And then I'll get your thoughts. He, he calls you out here on the, on the issue of deficit spending and, and the debt that we have in Canada. Here is Trudeau's response on that. Then I'll get your thoughts. The, the leader of the opposition really wants to come clean with Canadians. Will he talk about whether he's going to cut child care for families or dental care for children or better health care services? These are the things that he will be cutting. Okay, what do you say to him when he makes those points? And we're going to hear this frequently over and over again as we approach another election. He accuses you, you're getting ready to cut child care, cut dental care. What do you say to that? Nonsense. What we're going to cut is the waste and mismanagement. The $35 billion infrastructure bank that he has created that after five years has not completed a single solitary infrastructure project anywhere in Canada. The $54 million Arrive Can app that wasn't necessary, didn't work, and cost about 150 times more than it was necessary to devise an app like that. The explosion in payouts to high-priced consultants like McKinsey, which now which got $130 million from the Trudeau government in, in contracts, even though the public service is bigger and can bring those things in-house. And finally, we're going to bring in a common-sense law called the dollar-for-dollar dollar law. That is no new spending yeah. unless it's matched by an equal amount of savings. That's how we're going to balance the budget to bring home lower inflation and interest rates. After eight years of Trudeau, he's doubled the debt added more debt than all previous prime ministers combined. Why do you think inflation is so high? Why do you think interest rates are rising so quickly? The cost of Trudeau's government is driving up the cost of living. Enough. Okay, okay, so let's make sure I've got you clearly on on the record here. So when you say that it's nonsense what Trudeau was saying here on child care spending, on dental care spending, you're saying you would not cut any of these programs. That spending would continue intact? We'll make sure that all families benefit from the federal uh, child care uh, spending uh, and that we work with the provinces to make sure that rather than just uh, a, a small minority, that everybody benefits. Uh, Trudeau has failed to deliver the, the frontline benefits that Canadians need. Most of the money for, for all of Trudeau's programs gets gobbled up 
by bureaucracy and waste. And that's why, for example, his $89 billion housing program that's supposed to make housing affordable has presided over the doubling of housing costs under his leadership. Double the rent, double the mortgage payment, double the down payment necessary for for uh, a home. And that's after all this money spent. We're going to make sure that the spending on all of these things actually gets to the end user rather than by getting uh, gobbled up by bureaucracy okay. and interest groups. Okay, not a really clear answer for me, Mr. Polyev, like especially on, let's say, the dental program that the federal government has brought in, which is an extremely expensive program. So you're not ruling out cutting that program or reducing the spending on in that area? That's not what I've said. What I said is okay. that we're going to make sure that the end user, the people on the ground, actually get the benefit. The maximum number of people get the maximum benefit. That's how we're going to deliver for the Canadian people by bringing home the benefit to the frontline people. Let me play another clip here for you from Justin Trudeau, again, debating you in the House of Commons this, this week. Well, you don't want to hear from him? <laughs> I hear enough from him. Well, I, I hope I, you can play my clips as well when, uh, when Liberals are on. Oh, of course I do. Absolutely I do. So let me, let me play a clip here for you. So here he is pushing back against you on the argument you just laid out there on the deficit spending we have in Canada. Then I'll get your thoughts. Here he is. Opposition is proposing cuts in supports to Canadians at the same time as Canada actually has the lowest deficit in the G7, the best debt to GDP ratio of the G7, and we've preserved our AAA credit rating. And that's so that we can continue to be there to support Canadians. Okay, so when he makes that argument, we've got the lowest de- deficit in the G7. Are you buying that? Is that true? No, he, when he says we have the lowest debt, for example, he only gets that number by using the money that's in our CPP account to, to, to subtract from our overall national debt. And uh, that, uh, you know, he's, well, we obviously cannot and must not raid the CPP account. So when he uses the CPP to, to deduct from the overall national debt, then obviously he gets a better number. But the reality is he's doubled the national debt. He's added more debt than all previous prime ministers combined. Furthermore, Canadian households, after eight years of Trudeau, are by far the most indebted in the G7. We have over $2 trillion of household debt. Uh, That is more than roughly the size of our entire economy. The IMF says that Canada is the most at risk of any country for massive defaults as a result of rising interest rates on household debt levels. So Trudeau has put our families, our businesses, and our government finances at risk by spending so irresponsibly, by driving up the cost of living, and by making people pay more for everything that, uh, that he, has, he has given. So my, my approach is to get rid of the carbon tax that will lower the cost of gas, heat, and groceries, We're also going to lower income taxes so that people bring home more of each dollar they earn and hard work pays off. And we're going to remove the government gatekeepers to speed up and lower the cost of housing so that our people can afford to put roof overhead. My guest is federal conservative leader Pierre Polyev. I'm very curious and interested what you thought about former conservative prime minister Brian Mulroney and his speech this week where he seemed to be 
quite effusive in his praise of of Justin Trudeau. Trudeau himself even seems surprised at this. So this is your predecessor here, former conservative leader Brian Mulroney, of course, the former prime minister, talking about Justin Trudeau here. Play a little bit of it here and then get your thoughts. I'm really curious what you think of this. Here's, Here's Mulroney. Everybody says that our prime minister and our premiers conducted themselves as well as anybody else around the world. In, in dealing with this, and this is a big ticket item. Okay, he's, discussed, he's talking there about the government's management of the COVID-19 pandemic. He also praised Trudeau for renegotiating the NAFTA deal with Trump. Pierre Polyev, what did you think of Mulroney praising Tr- Justin Trudeau there? Well, uh, uh, let's look at the results. How are Canadians' lives after eight years of Justin Trudeau? Let's think about it. Life costs more. We've had the highest inflation in 40 years. Work doesn't pay. The harder people work, the more Trudeau takes. Housing costs have doubled. The cost of a mortgage payment has doubled. Cost rent doubled. The cost of a necessary down payment has doubled. Double, double, double. Our housing costs are almost double what they are in the United States. Vancouver is now the third most expensive housing market in the world, higher than New York or Singapore. Uh, This has all happened under Justin Trudeau's watch. Meanwhile, We see drugs, disorder, crime, and chaos in our streets after his catch-and-release policies. So that's the very real consequence that people on the ground, everyday ordinary people who don't have a lot of money, who aren't, you know, uh, swimming in in cash, those ordinary, hardworking, extraordinary, hardworking people are the ones that I'm focused on, and that's why my plan is to bring home lower prices by getting rid of the carbon tax and the inflationary deficits, bring home more powerful paychecks with lower income taxes and incentivize our cities to speed up and lower the cost of building permits so that we can put affordable roofs over the heads of the, of the nine and 10 young people who now believe they'll never afford a home. We're going to give them the hope of home ownership. Pierre Polyev, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Great to be with you. Thank you very much. Okay, you heard my conversation there with Pierre Pauly of the Conservative leader. Let's get the Liberal response here. Liberal MP Randeep Sarai, Surrey Centre. Randeep, thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure, Mike. Okay, I wish we had more time. Sadly, we only got like two, three minutes here. But, you know, Pauly have basically um, talked about affordability issues, the price of housing, interest rates, inflation, blaming it on your government. How do you respond? I, I think everybody has... Uh, has seen uh, Polya's uh, point of view, which is uh, trying to tell Canadians everything's broken and that everything's destroyed. He's an institutional destroyer, not somebody who builds or uh, seeks solutions. I think uh, it's a global phenomenon. Canada has been actually doing much better than all the uh, the other G7 or G20 countries. Our inflation rate has dropped down significantly, down to into the fours, four uh, percent from nine. And while Britain is still facing uh, double-digit uh, inflation rates, uh, we're we're on track, but we understand people are, are feeling a pinch. Uh, affordability is a challenge right now. We're giving a, a grocery rebate to, to people. We're giving uh, dental help uh, for, for those families. So, you know, to a typical family with a young uh, cohort uh, and those in need, we're, we're over twenty twenty five thousand dollars in in help is coming, and and we'll continue to working for structured support to help those that that uh, that need it. Randeep, you're part of a big spending government here. There's billions of dollars have gone out the door during the pandemic. And even when the pandemic was over, we got very large deficits and, and debt 
he he continually says like look that is the cause of inflation you increase the money supply like that that creates the inflation just got a minute left how do you respond to that because you're going to be hearing it over and over again no i think we would have had 16 percent unemployment had uh, under covid we not helped those that needed it and look at countries that even didn't help uh, like great britain and uh, and others that were were much less uh, including the u.s their inflation numbers there were were much higher than ours uh, their job growth much slower than ours. Uh, so I think Canada gave the right approach. We were structurally uh, sound at the time and able to give that. We still have a, one of the lowest GDP, debt-to-GDP rates uh, in the world. And, uh, and I think we're well-suited to, to come out of this in even a better and more stronger position. Our job growth is uh, 109%, maybe even higher, I believe, than what we had pre-pandemic numbers. Uh, okay. So the economy is still growing and we're getting more jobs. So, and that's what a, a government is responsible to do. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, Mike. All right. Let's talk about the police crackdown on speeding now. And we talked about this earlier this week on the show. What is the most effective way to get lead foot drivers to slow down? And we're seeing some astonishing speeding offenses here Recently, police say they are cracking down on this. Now, here's an idea. You may have heard about this. What about income indexed traffic fines? The higher your income, the higher the fine you pay for a traffic offense. Would that get some of these speed demons to slow down? Now, check this one out from the Vancouver Police Department. They posted this on their Twitter page last night. They clocked a guy, okay, this is a, a learner, young driver, he's got a learner license magnet on the back of the vehicle, four other youths in the vehicle, driving on Southwest Marine Drive, 80 kilometer an hour zone there is the speed limit. They clock this driver going 187 clicks an hour. 187 in an 80 zones at more than 100 clicks over the limit they seized the guy's car what kind of car was it it was a porsche yeah of course it was a porsche they seized that vehicle okay this driver's in a lot of trouble but here's the question for you now how do you get the message through especially if you're a a high-income driver, you're, you're a rich driver, he's a rich playboy driving some souped-up sports car, Lamborghini. Is that driver really going to worry about a, a traffic ticket? Is that just peanuts to a driver like that? Do you hit them where they live, hit them in the wallet with an income index traffic fine? You're a high-income driver, high-income speeder. Yeah, we're coming for your wallet here. Let's discuss this now with my guest, Daniel Fontaine, city councillor in New Westminster. Very pleased to welcome him back to the, to the show. Uh, councillor, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Yeah, you bet. And this issue came up recently in front of New West Council, and I know you've got a really interesting perspective on it. But first of all, let me ask you about, like, 187 clicks an hour in an 80-kilometer-hour zone, over 100 kilometers an hour over the speed limit. I mean, come on. This is just reckless driving. What, what goes through your mind when you hear about a case like that? 
Well, it is absolutely reckless, and that vehicle yeah. is no longer a vehicle, it's a weapon. And it's, uh, you know, driving down the street and could hit a kid or uh, an elderly person and, and, you know, worse yet, could cause a multiple cra- uh, car crash. I mean, throw the book at, at uh, if folks like that, uh, uh, for sure. When I hear that, that kind of stuff, it just really angers me that people would consider using their vehicle as a weapon the way that he did. Yeah, and it's good to hear that this this Porsche was impounded by the police, which I believe would be automatic in a case like this with a, a learner, when we're talking about an L-class driver here. But let's talk about this idea now of income-tested traffic fines. So the idea here is the fine you pay for like a speeding ticket would be based on your income. The higher the income, the higher the fine. I know this was backed by New West City Council, but you voted against this idea, correct? I did, Mike. Yeah. yeah, it was brought to, to council and I did vote against it. Yeah. yeah. Why are you against that idea? Well, a number of things. So I don't know this particular individual in this Porsche, but you said he, he had a, an L, a learner's permit. Probably, I'm assuming, a younger individual, uh, probably under the age of 25. Perhaps um, their income is very low. Uh, they might have a lot of perhaps family wealth that maybe mum or dad bought them the car. And under this scenario, if this were to pass, um, uh, perversely, this individual will get a ticket of literally nothing because uh, his or her income is going to be uh, so low that when they're issued the ticket, they're not going to get a $100,000 ticket like we've heard in various stories around Europe and places where this is done. They might get a ticket of 50 bucks, who knows, 20 bucks, even less than what we've got now. So that, that part to me doesn't make sense. There's, uh, you know, linking it to, to someone's income versus their actual wealth. If you're going to go down this route, you, you're better off to look at their full capital assets, which I'm not recommending, but that would be more appropriate and probably more effective. So that's, that's the first thing. The secondly, it has to do with the application of the law. And, you know, I, I you know, lived in Canada my entire life, and I always thought the law was applied equally to, to everyone. And if we're going to go down this road where, where wealthier people are, the laws apply differently to, to them compared to lower income people. It is a slippery slope because, as I said in council, you know, we have a lot of bylaws here in the city of New Westminster, parking, uh, offenses, a ton of bylaws that we are putting into uh, uh, kind of penalize people for doing bad things. I haven't seen a single initiative in the city of New Westminster to income test our bylaws. Yeah. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> You know, really, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I, I mean, yeah. if, this, if this applies, then why not apply it to parking fines or to uh, yeah. to other, uh, you know, inappropriate behavior in the city? So I, I have a number and range of issues. Um, I mean, it's you know, obviously getting a lot of attention. I don't know about the practicality of having it implemented province-wide. Okay, you're very notably voted against this proposal, even though the majority on on New West Council backed it, including. New Westminster Mayor Patrick Johnston, who's been a, a past guest on the show here. And and his argument is that the current system right now is not equitable. It's basically kind of a, a flat rate. Everyone pays the same no matter what your income is. What do you say to that argument that if you're a rich person, th- that just is nothing to you? I mean, that's just that's just peanuts to you, right? Like it wouldn't make any difference yeah. and it's not, it would not be a deterrent. I take your point that in this case, we've got a young driver who was speeding in this Porsche and maybe, maybe it was that, that young driver's parents bought them that car. But what about the, what about the guy who does own a Lamborghini? It is, it is a multimillionaire. Wouldn't a traffic fine for that guy just be nothing and not make, not make much of a difference? 
You know, uh, Mike, I don't live in those uh, wealthy circles uh, where people yeah. have um, the, the money that you're referring to, but I can only imagine that for many of those people who have the wealth for which the mayor uh, discusses, this is likely the cost of doing business, even a $100,000 ticket. I mean, if they're that wealthy that they're able to live in those circles, I don't think it's going to be a particularly you know, significant deterrent. I tell you what would be a very strong deterrent is having that same person have to take the bus or TransLink because their driver's license has been immediately revoked. I think that using the driver's license as a, is a much stronger tool than, than implementing fines and, and trying to collect funds uh, through, that, uh, through that route. I think that would have a much bigger outcome and effect on someone if they thought that they might lose their driver's license versus cutting a check for 100 grand for a ticket. Of course, nobody wants to pay 100 grand for a ticket, but if yeah. you're a multi-gajillionaire, what's $100,000 to you, right? Like, it, it's all relative. But I think everyone knows that if you remove the driver's license, you're going to have a much stronger um, impact on that individual than you would perhaps in, in finding them more. Okay. Here's one of the high-profile examples of how this is done in other countries. And the debate at New West Council focused on this too, saying, look, this is not a new idea. It's done in other countries, notably in Finland. So the most famous example here, probably NHL hockey star Rasmus Ristolainen, who made millions in the NHL. He got caught speeding in his home country of Finland. They have this income indexed fine system there. So he got walloped with a pretty hefty speeding ticket in Finland. Let's have a listen to this report on that, and then I'll get your thoughts. Let's listen. Names on the Buffalo Sabres had to pay a pretty hefty fine for speeding in his home country. A news outlet in Finland reports defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen was caught driving 50 miles per hour in a 25-mile-per-hour zone. And because Finland hands out fines based on income, that got him a $135,000 fine. Oh, 135000 for speeding. What was it, like 25 miles an hour over the limit? Wow. That's a lot. And that's U.S., by the way, so that's even more Canadian. I mean, I haven't heard any reports that he's ever speeded, you know, got caught again. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that is a deterrent. But, Daniel, your thoughts. But to a guy like that who's like a multimillionaire, maybe that doesn't mean much either. Your thoughts. Yeah, I, I think it's all relative, uh, Michael. I, I You know, it, that's a lot of money for people like you and I. For someone who's making, you know, eight, ten million dollars a year, um, I, like I said, I presume it's still a lot of money, but it's not going to bankrupt him. And he may have to sell his villa in the south of France. I don't know. But I don't think this is going to act uh, as much of a deterrent as actually removing the driver's license. What, where I am concerned is that this will hit, hit and likely impact a lot of more middle-income people, people mm-hmm. who are in that middle income who, who happen to, for whatever reason, uh, go above the speed limit. I'm not condoning it, but they likely will see their fines get jacked up dramatically as a result of this new system. So while we focus on the outliers and the multimillionaires and the hockey players who get those outrageous tickets, it's likely going to have a much larger impact on, on middle-income people who will face um, you know, significant uh, financial penalties as a result of this new uh, uh, method if it's implemented. Daniel, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Mike.
Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.